Amen. Thank you, Patrick. God bless you. Good morning. Pastor Mark, if you're watching, we love you. We miss you. Enjoy your time. He's actually away, but he's learning more about how to be be even a better pastor than he already is, so we appreciate him and Jackie. Uh, what a beautiful day. What a beautiful congregation. I noticed some extra beauty here. We have some some uh, folks who have never been with us. We have uh, a, we have a lady here in our congregation we've, uh, who, uh, who is new. Uh, her name is uh, Caroline Keener. Um, as far, at least her name is new. Uh, Stone and Caroline, newlyweds, welcome, welcome. We love you guys. Special friend of mine, Josh, who's here from Spain. So, uh, and uh, and very special, my oldest daughter, Lindy, is here, and it's her birthday today. This is uh, this is actually a wonderful week. Lindy's birthday is is the second of October. Our youngest, Tori's birthday, is the 5th of October, and I'm right in the middle, October 4th. So it's kind of like a daddy sandwich. This is, a, this is, as far as I'm concerned, the most beautiful week of the year. Uh, did, did we excuse the children? <laughs> uh, children, you may be excused. Be sure and sing happy birthday on your way out. Bless you guys. Best week of the year, October 2 through... Five. Cindy, on the other hand, uh, the reason that I excuse the children was I was going to tell you that Cindy calls it Hell Week. All right? <laughs> she has three people. Today's, today, Lindy's the queen. She gets whatever she wants. And on October 4th, I'm the king. I get whatever I want. And it's just wonderful. But for some reason, Cindy disagrees. Uh, I, I, I am a little bit conflicted. I turned 55 on Tuesday. 55. That seems like a milestone. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and uh, they're just, as some of you might know, not too many of you, but some of you might know, there's just so many things that remind you that you're getting older, and one, of the, and one of the places that reminds me is Publix. Lately, when I go into Publix, I feel old. For one reason, uh, they, they always say, look at me, and they say, do you need help carrying that out to your car? I mean, I could have a bag of bread, and they'll say... Sirdy, I guess I must be looking really feeble, because some little, some little 13-year-old girl will say, "Sir, do you need help with this going out to your car?" The other day in Publix, it was even worse because uh, my hearing is is starting to decline a little bit, and uh, and I'm checking out, and I hear the girl say, "Would you like to Would you like to hang out?" And my wife Cindy was standing right next to me, and it felt really awkward. Here's this girl asking me if I want to hang out. And then I said, what? Excuse me? And she, and she had actually said, would you like some help carrying that out to the car? So see how, how hard life gets the older you get. It, it reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter, uh, chapter 12 where it talks about remember the, your creator in the days of your youth before, uh, before the grinders cease, that is, your teeth fall out, <laughs> before the windows grow dim, you know, you can't see as well, before the grasshopper uh, drags himself along. Does anybody feel like a grasshopper dragging themselves along sometimes? Yeah, that's how I'm feeling, 55. Um, but the hearing is really bothering me and, um, making, and, and making me notice how old I'm getting. The other day, uh, 
Well, let me backtrack a little bit. When I was growing up and when I was a young buck, I was a youth pastor in a church out in California. I think I was 21. And there was a kid who was a little behind me in college, in, in Bible school, and he was the assistant youth pastor. His name was, I'll call him Tom. Tom was my, my assistant in youth ministry, and we were kind of like, Kind of like Tate and I are. We were just buddies and partners in ministry. And uh, he, I remember one day we were standing in the restroom both brushing our teeth. And he had a little thin, um, almost out uh, thing of tube of toothpaste. And I said, how are you going to get toothpaste out of that? And you know what he did? And I'll never forget this. He, he went up to the corner on a wall and he went like this. Watch this. You're going to learn something. And all the toothpaste went up to the top. And you can get another two or three brushes out of an empty thing and and that was good let me tell you for a newly married man you know who every every brush is important out of your tube of toothpaste so that so john we were partners in ministry well a few years ago he he uh was now married and had three older sons and somehow he got crossed up with his oldest son and And John uh, was doing something, and his oldest son snuck up behind him with a hammer and crushed in his head with a hammer. And we heard about John, and and we started praying for him because it looked like he was going to die. He was on his deathbed, but he, he, he didn't die. But he's now just a different John than I knew back then. He's, uh, the last time I saw him in California, he was essentially a quadriplegic in bed. And, uh, you know, no no uh, lung diaphragm support, so it's really hard to understand him talking. And I have on my, I have on my phone reminders reminding me to do some of the things that I need to do and some of the things that I should do. And um, the Lord kind of convicted me that I needed to give myself a reminder to call John, who's just there alone, sitting out there in Anaheim, California, in a bed with nothing to do all day long. And so the Lord, uh, so my reminder went off the other day. I was, I, I was walking around the Faith Baptist parking lot praying, and my reminder went off, called John Coo to call Tom. And um, I said, uh, I'm kind of embarrassed to even admit this. I said, do I really have to call Tom today? Because I can't, because I can't hear him. You know, he, it's hard to understand him anyways. And, and, and with my hearing declining, I have to ask him over and over again, what, I'm sorry, Tom, what did you say? And, and it's embarrassing and it's just uncomfortable. And, I, and I'll be even more honest. I don't feel like I get anything out of it. I've just, it's just, it's 30 minutes, 45 minutes out of my day that I don't get anything out of. Is that horrible to admit? You ever feel that way about something that you really should do? And the Lord just spoke back to me clearly, clearly. Now you have an exact picture of who you are to me. You have nothing to give me, nothing to offer me. I am, this is God speaking, I am completely self-contained. I have everything I need. I created this whole universe 
because I love you. Because I am love and love gives. We are, according to this passage, and you can read uh, all through the Bible, you can read pictures of us and we are the quadriplegic on a mat who is has nothing to offer God and so our only hope is that he notices us and so I'm thankful for my friend Tom because gave me a great picture of what love from God is looks like and and um, Jesus even he had a human moment right before he died on the cross he was kneeling down and he had that same conversation with the father that I had he said do I really have to do this please let this this duty pass from me if possible because I'm not going to get anything out of this except death and torture and a trip to hell only God didn't give him a pass. And so Jesus gave that gift of love to us who had nothing to give him. And that's what this wonderful passage says. It says that, it says that uh, we were powerless. There is this uh, principle in theology called depravity. Where we, where we just, we're just uh, a paraplegic on a mat. Or another one that Tate and I like to use is um, sinking in quicksand. Going down for the count. Nothing to offer. And the Bible says that God in his love reaches out and saves us. And it says that he, he demonstrates. He demonstrates. So we talk about agape. We talk about unconditional love. And I don't know about you, but those ethereal concepts sometimes... Uh, they're so hard for me to have a handle on and grab. Do you ever experience that? Some of the things that we talk about in church, yeah, I know they're up there, but give me, so, you know, give me something tangible. So I thought about, I, I thought about titling this message, "Love with Boots on the Ground." Like, if there's any way that your love could have some touch and some teeth, and I could, I, I could know what it means, and I, I vehemently fight. I, um, I don't know who I'm going to vote for in the election, but I know what I vote for when we sing that song and when it's between an unforeseen kiss and a sloppy wet kiss. I vote sloppy wet kiss because that's what that's what Jesus did when he came. I, um, you, you probably heard me say it before. There was an exchange of fluids. You know what I mean? Jesus came down to this earth and he sweat and he and he. Blood, drops of blood for us. His love, this agape love that seems so high and ethereal, it has physicality. And his name is Jesus. And it's real. But sometimes, you know, he lived 2,000 years ago. He rose 2,000 years ago. And here we are in Fairhope, Alabama. And we feel the humidity. And we feel the cool weather. But it's hard to feel and touch and know this love from Jesus. So... We're going to talk about that a little bit today. I was, I was in speaking of the election. I was, I was in warehouse where I do the the warehouse is this coffee shop in Fairhope. Anybody been there? Might have seen me in there too because I've been doing a lot of my Bible study and and prep stuff in there. And I love their everything bagel with cream cheese on it. And I was in there today do, doing some pre- preparation for today. 
and uh, actually met Alan there this week, didn't we? We met there, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was good, wasn't it? And uh, he had the croissant with the bacon, cheese, and eggs. There's people around, and I was curious. So I went from table to table. I went to the servers. So we got this cross-section. We had some silver hair. We had some young millenniums in there. We had, uh, and then we had the, you know, the blue collar and the people getting ready for church. And I did this survey. If, uh, if you had to vote between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and Tom Hanks, who would you vote for? And guess what they said to a person, except for one person who said none of them. <laughs> but every other one said Tom Hanks. Exactly. And if you've seen uh, if you've seen his latest movie where he's the airplane captain Sully, um, it's just he's got that silver hair now, you know, and he just he just looks so respectable. And you just want to believe everything he says, um, in his, especially in his later movies. Now, one person said. I don't think I'd vote for him as Forrest Gump, but in some of his later years, yeah. There's one, there's one movie and, uh, where Tom Hanks plays this sergeant who has to, he and a team has to go behind enemy lines in, into France and to save Private Ryan, whose three older brothers have been killed in World War II. And so the government calls and says we got to get the one surviving son out for the sake of the family because that's just not that's just not fair and so they go in behind enemy lines and you know the story you've seen it and how uh, through the course of the battles all three of those men or i think it was a it was like a whole i don't know the military term but a whole military group of men who went and to a person gave their lives and Private Ryan was saved. And at the very end, Tom Hanks, who he's so believable. And his very last words, he first whispers it out and Private Ryan can't hear, so he comes closer. And Tom Hanks' very last words were what? Earn this. Earn this. And then the closing scene is Private Ryan as a, late 70s man standing by the crosses in in the big military cemetery and he falls down onto his knees sobbing and his wife runs up and says what's wrong honey he says have I have I been a good man because all my life I've tried to live up to those words and I never feel like I can how can I possibly earn the lives of all those people who died for me and that's how I believe so many of us live our Christian life earn this and even though we've accepted Jesus' gift of salvation we live this life of this bound this bondage of trying to earn the life of this perfect man who gave gave his life for us and this God man how do you do that well I I want to remind you of the last words out of Jesus' mouth they weren't earn this They were, it is finished. So, when you receive that gift of salvation, when you receive that gift of being adopted into the Father's family, it's done. 
There is nothing you can do to earn. There is nothing, and really, really before and after salvation, there's nothing you can do to change the way the Father feels about you. He loves you. We call this unconditionally. He loves you unconditionally. Agape. Now, if you happen to be taking notes, I, um, I want to give you what I think is a really nice definition of God's kind of love for us. Irrevocable resolution to constantly and unconditionally act in someone's behalf. Doesn't really, it doesn't really have anything to do with God's feelings or, or feelings at all. It is a resolution. It's an irrevocable. It's never going to change. God has resolved to unconditionally, no matter how you act, no matter what you do, good days, bad days, cute, not so cute, unconditionally, constantly, day after day after day after day, sin after sin after sin after sin, He constantly acts in your behalf. That's God's love for us. And I believe, and, I, uh, and I'm, I'm just so passionate about this, that I believe if, if that... If we could taste and touch and smell and feel the reality of that love, it would change our lives. It would change how we live. First, it would change. Uh, it, it would bring this joy, and then out of out of that joy would flow the life the way it's supposed to be lived. Jesus said He came to give us abundant life. Came to give us abundant life. That life flows when we finally get. That his unconditional, the power of his unconditional love. So, so today, just uh, it's probably not going to last very long, but I'd like to give us four postures for receiving God's unconditional love. Because there is, there's, uh, there, that's another big dispute when people when people talk about uh, depravity. When we talk, when people talk about how. We have, we are depraved. We have nothing to offer God. That we're dead in our trespasses and and sins. There's nothing we can do. You know, Martin Luther died for that truth. There's nothing we can do to earn. It's by faith. But I will say that faith also has some tangibility to it. And Tate and I talk about to the young people. You're sinking in the quicksand, and somebody holds. A big stick over to you. What do you do? You keep sinking? No, you grab the stick. And now you get pulled out of the quicksand. Did you do anything? Did, did you save yourself? No, you just responded to the stick. Right? And that's, that's faith. Faith is just putting yourself in the posture to receive this amazing love that God has for us and so there was actually a whole book written called and and back when I was younger I kind of cringed at the word discipline there's actually a book called the celebration of disciplines many of you have heard about it by a man named Richard Foster and one of the things he said in the in the in the premise of the book or the introduction of the book is that what we call through the years we call them the classical disciplines but they're really just putting yourself in the posture to receive God's grace you know, it's, it's not something, it's not a work. It's not something we do to earn God's love. It's just grabbing the stick. And today uh, I want to talk just quickly about four, I really think, 
four postures that if you could get a hold of these four postures and if the if the young people um, who come to youth are there any young people who come to youth group that's right you guys so you've heard about the four legs in the the four legs in the chair right it's basically that and it's basically four aspects to a good relationship and we apply these to how we receive God's love and it really really works so the first posture is listening how do you receive God's love you we just listen to him and that and why that's first is because God speaks for you think um, you know you think oh if I could just find God if I could just say the right things to get to convince God to come get me that's that's not right He's been seeking you. He, he knit you together in your mother's womb. He's always been there. He's there right now. And for your friend, for your child who feels so far away from God, it's a matter of just turning and listening to his love being spoken to you. God spoke first. His first words were, let there be light. And those were words of love because he was already preparing the universe for you. It's a father who says, let me, build a, let me build a playscape for my children. Only it's not the Walmart playscape, it's this universe that's still expanding at the speed of light. His first words were for you, love. And so the first thing that we can do to receive God's love is to listen to him. He's the, this is another thing that I like to remember. God is the initiator. We're just the responder. You didn't think of God. You didn't all of a sudden discover, oh, there's a God up there. God's been initiating all along. And just if you want, just want to get complicated and just a little bit of picture of family, which God is a great picture of a father and, and, and what he's creating is just a big family. Just look at the. I don't want to be. I don't want you to think I'm crude, but just look at anatomy. And God designed for the husband to lead and to protect and to serve his family. And He's got the anatomy that initiates, and the woman responds, right? And that's just. And so, why do you think that Jesus is the that Jesus is the husband and the church is the bride of Christ? Because Jesus initiated by coming down here and dying for us, and we just respond by receiving. His love, right? And God speaks, and He has been speaking to you. And I, and it's my challenge to to husbands and to fathers in this room, just by the grace of God, ask that He would teach us how to serve and initiate that that loving, leading relationship in our households, because it's the picture of what what God does for us. But God initiates, and we and we listen. How do we listen? Of course, we come and hear Pastor Mark teach God's word. He does such a wonderful job. We, we, we read the Bible. Some of you are going, man, I'm not very disciplined at that kind of thing. You know what? In my low moments, when I'm either tired or I've struggled with a lot of depression in my life and so discouraged, this has been the extent of my listening to God. I'll find my Bible app and I'll put it on play and I'll lay in my bed with my iPhone on my chest and I'll just listen to the Psalms or something like that. 
you know, if you just give God a little bit, it's amazing what He'll do with it. So if that's where you're at, if that's if you're if you're so despondent right now and in a dark time in your life, let Please, just let that be your listening to God. Or find a worship song. That's what Cindy does. Find a worship song that resonates with you and, and talks to you about God's love. And, and put your iPhone on your chest. But hear Him speak to you. And as we grow in this, um, we, we start to get a real taste an appetite for God's Word, and we eventually, I really believe, we can all become real consumers of God's Word. Um, reading, reading some of us chapters a day and learning how to study and meditate and on God's Word, but it starts by listening. Secondly, in any good relationship, it's reciprocal, so we listen, but we also talk. And there again, there are, uh, there are those times... When I don't have a lot of words for God, do you know when you go up to uh, when you go up Highway 180, uh, 180, 181, Thank you. And as you're almost to Sam's Club, uh, you look to the right when you're going north, and there's that big ornate kind of cathedral thing, right? There's a Greek Orthodox church. Well. Uh, they say they they're first, you know. They they say they were there before the Roman Catholic Church, and there's really a lot of validity to that. But anyway, one of the uh, I, I, I I've learned a lot from some of my Greek Orthodox friends, and one of the things they have is they have something called the Jesus Prayer, and it's uh, I, I think it goes Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on me. And in a pinch, when they have nothing else to say, they just say that over and over again. And I, because I forgot it, that's why I don't remember the whole thing, because I have just shortened it to Jesus have mercy. Jesus have mercy. I've blown it again. I'm so weary. Jesus have mercy. Jesus have mercy. And you know that the, the Father will take that and hear that and he'll respond to that. Another thing, and this is, an, and I know I know Pastor Mark is comfortable with this. I'm a Pentecostal, and I and I pray in tongues. The Bible says when we uh, when we uh, don't have words to express, the Spirit comes and prays in uh, in groanings that cannot be uttered. And I believe that that's uh, that one way of, of that of that being expressed is through a prayer language. And sometimes I have no words, and I just crumble down on the ground, and I just. Just that comes out, and I know he hears, and he understands. And if the anti-Pentecostals are right, and that that's just gibberish, then God still loves me and still hears my heart crying out to him because he's so good. So we talk, we speak, and that's why I love the Faith Baptist parking lot. And then sometimes you drive past Faith Baptist. And you go, that huge 32-acre complex that got lost and taken back by the bank. What a travesty. No, that's where Lee walks and talks to God. If, if for no other reason, that's a beautiful place. And that's my place. And for several minutes a day, as many days as I can, I try every day. Uh, I don't make it every day. As many days as I can, I just walk around that parking lot because there's, there's nobody there and it's a great view. But you you got to find, I, I encourage you to find your Faith Baptist parking lot. 
or Jesus at your closet. And don't, don't if, if, if you're new at it, I, I challenge you, I, I encourage you probably not to say, I'm, I'm going to pray for an hour a day. Just go in there and say, Jesus, have mercy, and let it start there. But talk. We listen, we talk. And thirdly, we commune. We commune. I grew up in, the, in, uh, in Pentecost, and one of, the, one of the distinctives of our denomination is we are very, have you noticed, we are very personality-driven. Most of the big TV personalities, if you check back, started out in my denomination. And one of the, and one of the things about that is we learned, I learned growing up in children's church and in youth camp, I learned to say the names of those big evangelists, and someday I'm going to be like him. He gets on an airplane, he flies all around the world, and he tells people about Jesus, and they just, they're just these amazing lone rangers for Jesus. And, I, and that was my dream. And I remember uh, Lindy and, and me walking through the parking lot of a church in Austin, Texas one day, and the airplanes would fly overhead with these cool streams behind them, two streams of white steam behind them and we'd look up at those streams and I'd say, Lindy, someday you and Daddy are going to get on airplanes and go preach all around the world. And, and God made that dream come true. He allowed me to uh, go on missions trips to 22 countries around the world. He's allowed me to preach as an evangelist in 35 some states. S- probably 600 different churches and believe me this is not a brag this is like paul who said all those things i consider as dung because you know one of the things about that was on those airplanes i was alone in hotel rooms before my big message i was alone and it it it, it came to my attention several years back that i was completely isolated I had no Christian friends. I was out there a lone ranger for Jesus. And I was, I was like one of those, that, like Jesus said, I was like a, a whitewashed sepulcher. <laughs> Put a great suit on with great hair. But I was all crumbled up on the inside because I was cut off. I was isolated. Folks, isolation is one of the worst things you can do for your ability to feel God's and experience God's love. We need each other. And so uh, small groups that we do here is awesome. I am a big, big, big believer in Celebrate Recovery. And I tell people when I go to Celebrate Recovery, it's one of my safest moments of the week because I just sat there and now we've got some couches in there I just sat there and, and, and we go around and we just we just say this is this is this was my week I really blew it this week and, and we can get as we can get as real as we want to and nobody's gonna nobody's gonna um, even give us any advice they're just gonna listen they're gonna say thank you brother for sharing that we're gonna pray for each other and um, in my time of isolation, I, I discovered Celebrate Recovery, and it changed my life. Changed my life. The power over um, some temptations and sins that I was dealing with suddenly came. Pastor Mark quoted this verse from James recently. Confess your 
sins one to another that you may be healed. And that healing comes in community. We need each other. So I encourage you to find that. Find another person who's passionately seeking Jesus. And one of the things that I like to do a lot is is meet over at the warehouse and talk with brothers who are uh, also trying to seek Jesus. And it really encourages me in my faith. And the, the everything bagels are awesome. Listen, talk, commune. And finally, I didn't have, I didn't come up with the ideal word, I guess, but flow. Flow. As we listen to God and as we talk to Him and as we get in His family and bump up against other Christians and character begins to develop in us. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know where this developed, right? In community. As we're bumping up against each other, those barnacles get knocked off and we get, we get more like Jesus. And then at a certain point, we're going, wow, God, look what you're doing in me. What, uh, what do I have to, to return? What, you know, what can I do? And that's okay. Because the Bible says in Ephesians, after it talks about all that God has done for us, it says, as, as a matter of fact, you were created for good works. In Christ Jesus. So it's okay to ask that at a certain point. What can I do, God? You've been so good to me. One day I was walking Faith Baptist parking lot and I said, You know what? Every day I talk about myself. I'm talking I'm saying to talking to Jesus. Every day I talk about myself, talk about my problems, you listen, listen, listen. How are you doing today? And he spoke to my heart. I'm always the same. But my heart is breaking for the little ones. The, the widows who have no family to take care of them. And the orphans who have no family. Oh, orphans. And, and I knew that when, what God was speaking to me was not just somebody whose mom and dad have died. But there's these orphans all around us who have been abandoned by parents who are on drugs and in prison and they're in institutions. And then there are spiritual orphans. There are hundreds of children and teenagers and young adults in our community who don't have a single parent, one of their parents who knows Jesus. They're spiritual orphans. And God speaks to me and says, you want to know how I am? My heart is breaking for the orphans, for the little ones. And... Um, a passion has been building up in Cindy's and my hearts for quite a while now over those over these orphans. You know, God loves you unconditionally. He has an irrevocable he has made an irrevocable resolution to constantly unconditionally act in your behalf. But I hope it's okay for me to say this. You're not at this moment his highest priority. And he gave a parable to explain that. There's 99 sheep and the shepherd's going, I love these guys all the same. But right now my priority is there's one sheep that's out there being threatened by a wolf, possibly with a broken leg, possibly going to die of exposure. I've got to find that sheep. And that's, that's the passion of the father 
is those lost little ones, those little orphans, those little children who aren't in his family. Spiritually and physically, the little ones of the world, that's his passion. And when we, uh, when we go through this whole process of listening and talking and communing, eventually we come to this place of, God, what can I do? And he says, help me with my little ones. So, so Cindy and I, I gotta put this down here. I keep playing with my toothpaste thing, and it's really distracting you from something important. Cindy and I have been asking you to pray for this little girl named Daisy. She's 13 years old. Um, she's been in and out of foster homes since she was, I believe, four. Um, We've been trying to get her into our home since for four years now. She was nine years old, up in inner city Birmingham in a in a youth facility in inner city Birmingham. Nine years old, and our hearts just were kind of uh, kind of just uh, bonded to her. And and we fi- we we finally got to the place where it was time to step up our efforts and so for the last probably five months we've been working uh, and and we're almost almost there but we almost every weekend we go up and visit Daisy in Birmingham in this facility this children's facility where she is 13 years old and she is um, there with she's the youngest one all the way up to 18 it's a co-ed I, I just can't believe that I, how, what I'm even describing it's a co-ed facility with ages 13 to 18 and here's this little 13 year old in there with these rough folks and um, how did she end up there well she got so discouraged when um, her parents kept going into rehab coming out of rehab never being ready to take her back she finally just kind of gave up on life that she would ever have a home. And so uh, she was perceived as being a, a, a threat to herself, and so they institutionalized her. So, um, so we go up there and visit Daisy, and uh, she has this amazing, because she, I think, because she has hope, she, we keep, she says, don't give up on me. And so we say, we're at Daisy, Daisy, we're never going to give up on you. So she's got this hope kind of springing up, right? And now she, and now we, I, I say sometimes, Daisy, sit, we were sitting in, uh, in Krispy Kreme, another wonderful place to meet people. And we're eating our donuts. I say, Daisy, tell me your story. And she told me the story of abuse and neglect and, and horrible stuff. I said, Daisy, how, how, how do you live with that? And she says, I really feel like God has had me go through all these things so that someday I can help other children who are going through these things. And I'm going, wow, this is amazing. The heart of this little girl. But then I go, well, Daisy, do you ever say, God, enough preparation? Uh, this, okay, I think, uh, I think I get the message that things are hard for little children. Enough. And she says, well, not really, because I think everything that happened has led up to the possibility of me coming to live with you and Miss Cindy. So I accept all that's happened, right? And this is the kind of girl. And um, so one day uh, we pick her up and she says, uh, Hey, Mr. Lee, sometime during this weekend, can we go to Walmart? Sure, Daisy, what do you need? I need some soap. I need some shower soap. Oh, okay. Uh, why? She said, well, because um, some, somebody 
one of the older kids peed in my soap. And that just, it's just made me mad. It's just like you feel so powerless. What can you do, you know? So we pray. Anyway, so we go to Walmart, get her some shower soap, and then we get back in the car and say, okay, Daisy, I got a Sharpie. We're going to write, on, and I, I was going to try to kind of make some fun with it. We're going to write on this thing of, of soap, and, she's, and she interrupted me. She says, I know what we're going to write. Don't pee in my soap. And we both laughed together, right? And then we said, you know what, Daisy? I said, someday we're going to write that book, Don't Pee in My Soap. The story of how God took somebody in such a difficult place and brought them and put them in family. That's going to be the story that we write. And I want to ask right now, just right in the middle of this, that, we, that, that you would take somebody's hand and that you would pray that this week could be the week that Daisy comes home. She knows all about you. Many of you have been supporting her already. Father, in the name of Jesus, Cindy, would you stand up and lead us? Yes, God. Mm-hmm. Amen. Thank you so much. And uh, I mean, this is this is no big deal. People all around the world are fostering. You know, why are we why are we taking this time to pray for Lee and Cindy fostering? Because we have discovered. That if every um, if every church in Baldwin County would have just one person and and everybody support that one family, that we that all of the facilities, all of the children's facilities in Baldwin County would be um, would not have any children in them anymore. And if around the nation, all the churches would just say, let's the, here's a couple um, that God has given you know the, those particular gift sets. We're going to support them in this. We could empty out all the facilities in, in the United States. Uh, just j- one child per church. So we want to, we're so grateful that, that you are our church that's helping us with that. And it's, it's doable, you know. If Bono's going to solve world hunger. So how about the church solve the problem of the orphans of the world? Amen. Now, let's get back to what we were talking about. All those orphans in the world, you don't have to save. 
Some of you walk under that bondage, and I'm, I'm closing with this. You walk under that bondage of, of feeling like you've got to save the world. And Jesus speaks to you and says, I already saved the world. We are just the, kind of the cleanup team for what Jesus has already done. And in fact, he, he could, he, God could do it himself except that he gives us the privilege of, of being a part of this wonderful enterprise the building of his family. He lets us be the big brothers and the big sisters. So again, I remind you that really what it's all about for you is to receive. And as you receive God's love, and as it comes and comes and comes and comes, it changes character and eventually flows out into what is, if it's, if it's right, it really is very much an overflow and not duty and not fear. That's the way you are called to live Receive God's unconditional love. And when you feel like, when you're, when you're feeling condemned and guilty, like, I'm not doing enough, go back. Don't whip yourself and try to do more. That's the very wrong thing to do. Go back and receive. Go back and receive more of His love until the flow starts going again. Lord, that we could do that, that we could do that, that we could be people that would just be receivers of His love. And so today, we standing and ask the the worship team to come, and if we could just stand together right now, that would be great. And I'm gonna gonna paint a picture for you, that you and you can we can we can live we can live this or not, and and there's there's really no um, well, let me just say it. When uh, I, I grew up in in a place where, uh, you know, when the pastor would preach a sermon, sometimes he would do what we call opening the altars. And if the sermon, if the message was for for me, that means I would come down and I would kneel somewhere in the front and just kind of just let God come and and touch me. And as I was praying about this this morning. I just prayed that some people would say, and, and here's the prayer, Jesus have mercy. <laughs> Jesus have mercy. Father, teach me how to experience that amazing, unconditional love, that commitment you've made to work in my behalf day after day after day. Teach me how to experience that. And if this message is for you, that some of you could come to the front and stand, some of you could come to the front and kneel, I would encourage you to find your spouse maybe. Maybe that's how you want to respond. Or you have some people in your small group that you've got kind of an intimacy built with them and you go find them across the room and just pray that that is the worship or or not. Or not. This this message was not for you today and that is totally fine too. But if, but if it was, and if this is a moment where you just need... Man, what I'd do is I'd go grab somebody from my small group and I'd say, I need this, I need to experience God's conditional... It needs to be real to me, boots on the ground, tangible to me, so that I don't forget, so that I don't live in condemnation. Pray for me. And then you pray for each other. And let's just do that now as the, as the worship team leads... Find your way to respond to this message for just a few moments as we close.